T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. The Mark Reardon Show. I hate people individually, but I love mankind. Oh, you do. The Mark Reardon Show. I got into broadcasting because I like to give. Sometimes I find myself hurting from giving too much. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. The Mark Reardon Show is on now. Oh, so, so glad we had the holiday because we haven't (laughs) had very much time off recently, ladies and gentlemen. I, for one, needed that day off yesterday. Me too. Yeah, I'm glad that we took it. Uh, Sue, how are you this afternoon? I am great. Thank you. The sun is shining. Don't know what just happened there. It's in the 60s. Well, okay, 50s. I I don't know what that is right there. You seriously don't? don't? I I like it. I have no idea what it is. We're oh, I see. There's some something happened oh, over there that yeah. I apparently hit. <laughs> Sounds kind. Of, maybe I should just roll. With I it think here. you should. I Honestly, love it. I think it was one of those things where my piece of paper hit the mouse or hit the screen or something like that. I didn't even know that was there, but now I do know that's there. That kind of threw me off. All right, we're off and running here for a Tuesday edition. We have to remind ourselves what day it is because of the holiday. But I did have one thing that's happening though, Sue. I think I told you this last week, and this is kind of continuing and I'm rather confused by it is I, I've been waking up Now I usually don't have any trouble sleeping certainly getting to sleep sometimes a little bit but when I wake up in the middle of the night my wife tends to joke with me and she says like you if I use the bathroom and at my age I think it's five or six times a night uh, she's like you're snoring like you know two minutes later well, lately, it's been a 4 a.m. wake-up call. And I just, and I don't know if I've gotten to the point now where I'm convincing myself but I can't get back to sleep. But I, so I'm just basically starting the day. So yesterday morning, I started the day pretty early and uh, rolled with it. But it's, it's weird because it, it weird. doesn't seem to, I don't get it. I don't understand. You know what I mean? But why would something like this? And now I'm freaked out thinking, oh, maybe I've you know, got oh, you're some fine. sort of weird disease Here's or something Here's the good like news. That. I'm up at 440, so you can text me. <laughs> I might do that. <laughs> well, what I might do is just start going to the gym early just because. Oh, that's a great I'm, idea. Yeah, right. So we'll, we'll have to see where, where this all takes us. But it was, a, uh, it was a great weekend, really interesting NFL weekend. I will be honest with you, even though I'm a huge fan of the NFL, I turned that Chargers-Jaguars game off, and I can't believe that the Jaguars came back and won that game. And then last night, did you see? See the guy missed four extra points. Yes, that's for what the I went up for. Yeah, what the? Right. Does he still have a job today? I, I think he he wow. almost has to because I don't know if they have anyone that they can slide in there, you know, off the practice team that's going to be any better. But that was just one of those things that kind of got into his head along the lines of Rick Ankiel, right? Wouldn't you totally. say? Totally. Kind of reminded you of that. Well, I have a lot of stuff here from the weekend. Um, believe it or not, being up 
early in the morning allowed me the opportunity to gather a bunch of topics that I want to talk about. So we're going to do that here. Let me, though, pass a little. I'm going to impart a little information here this afternoon. I almost forgot this. I had this on my uh, my page of notes because, see, what I do is I write notes. I don't know if you know that. Just kind of show I've heard here. that about you. This was I tweeted this yesterday. It's very profound, and this is from my daughter. Okay, well, maybe it was. What's the date today? The 17th. Okay, this was on the 15th. I want to make sure I get the dates right. I don't know if you saw this. The, uh, the quote from, um, I suppose that would be Sunday morning, was, What if butter wasn't a thing? Everything would taste so disgusting. Alexa Reardon, January 15th, 2023. But she's kind of onto something there, isn't oh, she? Oh, she's dead right. I, I think she is. Uh, we're going to talk about the debt ceiling and all that nonsense coming up here with Joel Griffith from Heritage. I have what, and I have to leave myself enough time here this afternoon, which is why I think I'm going to break early from the monologue, because there was an amazing speech that was delivered uh, across the pond in the uh, UK by uh, this guy that I, I'm not even that familiar with him is a Russian-British comedian by the name of Konstantin Kissin. Have you heard his name? I've heard his name before, but I didn't know much about him. He gives this speech in the House of Commons on wokeness, and he's focusing on climate change in particular, and it was brilliant. He addresses the woke kids in the room. He mentions Greta, and he does it in a very, you know, there's some humor in there, but the speech he gave was about seven or eight minutes. I've called it down, and I have some really good audio highlights that I'll get to here a little bit later in this hour because it is something that I think people need to hear. Here's something else that I think people need to hear, and, and this kind of caught me off guard. So I don't know if you saw this because I think it's certainly a name that you will know from the past, and I think it's one of those things. There's two actors that just vanished from the planet that were great actors. I think both of them may have won Academy Awards. You want to take a stab at who they are? James Woods? Uh, James Woods is not one of them that mm. I'm thinking of. Who? Well, Gene, Gene, Hask, Gene, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. I almost said Haskins. Gene Hackman just sort of disappeared, right? Yeah, that's true. He just went away. But he's older, right? He I mean, is, but he he vanished. Richard Dreyfus. Oh, yeah. Remember Richard Dreyfus? I do. Let's see how old he is now. He is. It can't well, be born, more than the 70s. Well, he was born in 1947. You want to do the math on 57, that? 57, 67, 7, 80, 90, 07, 17. He's in his 70s. Okay. So, but he's been gone for a while, right? You remember him from yeah. Mr. Holland's Opus? Yeah. Great movie. More to music than notes on a page. These guys, for example. Now, they can't sing. And, and they have absolutely no harmonic sense. And they're, they're playing the, the same three chords over and over again. And I, I love it. I love that movie. That was such a great movie. And he was, was such a great actor. Of course, he was in Jaws, a lot of uh, other Goodbye legendary... Girl. Was he in Goodbye Girl, too? Yes. Yep. So he did a... I, I have not even thought about Richard Dreyfus in a while. Uh, I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't really even know if he was alive, maybe. But he did an interview with Glenn Beck. And he has written a book... And the book is called One Thought Scares Me. We teach her, I'm going to make sure um, I get the whole title because it's a long title and it's cut up here. One Thought Scares Me. We teach our children what we wish them to know. We don't teach our children what we don't wish them to know. And it came out in October. I wish I would have heard about it then. Uh, I think he's going to sell a lot of books now because he's getting some attention. But listen to what he said to Glenn Beck on why he quit acting. This is very important and interesting. I gave up something I loved and had loved since I was nine years old only for something else I loved as much, which was saving my country. And I firmly believe that if 
we don't revive the study of civics, we will be dead before 2050. We'll have the same name. Long before. And it'll be um, a nightmare. So I had led a blessed life, and I gave it up for a blessed life. You know, I don't think he's wrong. We're coming off a week where last week I told you about this poll that came out that 16 percent, only 16 percent of Gen Z, uh, the snot-nosed younger generation of which I have two children, are proud to be Americans. That's it, 16 percent. So Richard Dreyfuss writes this book because he loves this country and he thinks that there are big problems in this country. And there are big problems in this country. Let me give you an example, ladies and gentlemen. This is a small example, but it's a small woke example. And I will say this. I I fell for a couple of things over the weekend. I'm going to have John Ziegler on from California. And I'm um, I'm losing my edge, Sue. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm losing my What are you talking about? You know, I'm relatively good at sniffing out the uh, the stuff that doesn't really happen, the hoaxes and the parody accounts, right? Yeah. Well, I slipped twice over the weekend, and here's one that I slipped on. There was somebody that was... <laughs> I should have known this from the name. Uh, it's uh, Ann Lesby, PhD, she, her. I will not allow my children to eat food cooked on a gas stove. And my tweet said, I don't know what's more comical, the tweet or her Twitter bio. You got to check it. And then I guess I should have read it a little bit. Lesby. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it, <laughs> it was yesterday when I was up early and it was for uh, head of gender studies, ACLU University, anti-racist fetus author, uh, one eighth black neurodivergent, typical non-binary semi-trans lesbian who dates men, vegan plus mentor. And then there's a couple other things. So I think it is a parody account. And there was another one. Um, that happened over the weekend. And I tweeted this one out, but I, I brought it down because there was a there was an incident that happened after the Kentucky game. Kentucky actually upset Tennessee in college basketball. Uh, John Calipari is doing an interview with Holly Rowe from ESPN. He puts her hand, his hands on her shoulders when he's talking to her. And it seemed like if you're just watching it, it might have seemed a little aggressive. I don't know. So people were complaining about that online, and there were a couple of stories, even Sports Illustrated. So somebody... And I, I sent this to Zig because he's usually one of my test cases for, you know, reaction. Yeah. And it said uh, this was a guy that seemed, you know, this is where I have to be careful. It said Richard West, RGW News. He seemed like a legit reporter. And the, the report said the tweet said ESPN and Holly Rowe have filed charges against Kentucky coach John Calipari for his inappropriate touching of Rowe during the halftime interview at the Tennessee game today. A warrant has been issued by Knoxville PD for his arrest. Well, that's not true, okay? What is true is there were people that were upset, apparently, by his actions. But I saw that, and and here's why I want to admit that I fell for it, because we're living in an era where you don't really know what's real and what's parody. And I'm going to offer an example of this. This was, you tell me if this is real. I think it is, by the way. This is a guy named David Oliver. He wrote this the other day in USA Today. Um, And the headline is, is it time to stop saying aloha in other culturally sensitive words out of context? So he says, aloha, hola, shalom. These are ways to say hello in Hawaii, Spanish, and Hebrew, respectively. Hebrew, respectively. But just because you can say something doesn't mean that it's always appropriate. Oh, come on. It's a greeting. Oh, on the surface, Sue, simple greetings and phases from other phrases from other races and cultures may seem fine to sprinkle into our vernacular, inclusive even. But did you know that aloha doesn't just mean hello and goodbye? Yeah, that's exactly right. 
It's a greeting or a farewell, but the meaning is deeper, says Maile Arvin, the director of Pacific <sighs> Island Studies at the University of Utah. One of my Hawaiian language teachers taught it to me as aloha means recognizing yourself in everyone and everything you meet. If you're not Hawaiian and you say it, it could come off as mockery. And that's just one word to think about. And then they go on, right? They go on about this. Uh, of course, not all uses of language outside of someone's culture are problematic. I, this is unbelievable that people take the time to write these things, talking about maybe dropping ola or shalom and saying that that's inappropriate. That's how touchy we are in this country right now, apparently. Now, I'd like to think, and this is where Constantine Kissin is going to come into play here in a segment later this hour, because I do think that when you hear all this stuff, and this guy writes for USA Today, which has become a complete and utter joke, uh, that people laugh at it. it it's, it's just comedy right now. And there are some people that buy into it, and those are the woke people that Constantine Kissin addressed in British Parliament. I'm going to have that speech for you a little bit later. But we're off and running here for a Tuesday edition of the show. Joe Griffith from Heritage is going to get us up to date on everything related to the debt ceiling crisis. Kilmeade is with us this afternoon. we got Sue's News in the next hour. We skipped Cusimano yesterday, so we'll talk blues and Mizzou basketball, NFL playoffs with Frank. And then I mentioned John Ziggler is going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour, plus an audio cut of the day. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, the debt ceiling is the next point of contention in the House, in the Senate, in the White House. KJP in the press room today saying, well, I don't think we're going to talk about it much. So the White House has no intention of sitting down with Leader McCarthy on the debt ceiling in, in the coming month or in the, at all. What we're saying here is that um, it, we've been very, very clear. It was clear at the top. It was clear when I was just asked this question. Uh, Congress is, is going to need to address the debt without conditions, uh, and uh, and it's just that simple. All right, well, without conditions, how about some conditions, maybe? I think it's a sign of arrogance if you would say he wouldn't even discuss it. If you had a child and you gave him a credit card and they kept raising it and they hit the limit, so you just raised it again, clean increase, and again and again, would you just keep doing that or would you change the behavior? We're six months away. Why wouldn't we sit down now and change this behavior. Well, let's see if that perhaps is even possible. Joel Griffith wish, with us this afternoon, Heritage Scholar, talk about the debt ceiling crisis and what might happen here. Hey, Joel, how are you? Welcome to 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Let's start with a basic definition. This term, uh, phrase, if you will, gets tossed around uh, quite a bit. We always hear about the fact that Congress has to do something about it. If we, if we don't do it, we're going to risk the full faith and credit of this country. So what are we talking about specifically when we hear this reference to the debt ceiling? 
Well, look, over the last half century, this nation has racked up more than $31 trillion worth of debt money that we owe into the future. That's almost $80,000 per person in this country. And that's only a fraction of the actual actual number. If you look at the obligations that we owe from Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare commitments, we're talking about closer to $300,000 per person in debt. But every dollar worth of debt that we take on and borrow, Congress has to actually approve that borrowing. And we're coming right up to that limit. We're expected to reach it in the next several weeks. And if Congress does not authorize more borrowing, then that means we go into default on the repayment obligation. Yeah. So like to your point, we don't even know exactly when this is going to occur, right? right. There's a lot of maneuvering, a lot of accounting gimmickry that, uh, that the Treasury Department can do to delay the inevitable. And they could potentially push that off uh, by another few weeks or even another month. But that's all accounting gimmickry. What we do know is that at some point this year, within the next few months, Congress is going to have to lift that debt ceiling or else um, the government will not have the um, permission to actually borrow more. So, you know, what I remember in the past is, you know, this tends to be a little bit deja vu, Joel, is we we have all this buildup. The debt ceiling is coming. Congress is going to have to do something about it. Oh, wait a second. Republicans might throw some red flags and then the government's going to shut down and then you'll have, you know, the credit ranking that is going to be ruined. Um, what's the actual truth here? And is there room? You heard KJP. They don't think they want to negotiate. Kevin McCarthy not happy about that. Why wouldn't you negotiate? And if they're expecting nothing to happen, no concessions, do the Republicans actually have some uh, some power here? Well, if the president might not want to negotiate, but the fact is Congress, when the House is controlled by Republicans, Congress has to approve a limit in that debt ceiling. And What needs to be done if we're going to lift this, there really should be an effort made, a true commitment to actually lowering the spending from what is expected to be. We need to lower it over the next um, 10 years. I think we lost you there. Oh, man. Okay, you you faded out there just a little bit. Is this also a situation because in in Washington we know that in our households, if we um, you know get into a situation where we have to hold firm on our spending, uh, that's not necessarily a decrease if you're holding flat. But if you hold spending right where it is right now, Washington says, well, that's a decrease in spending, right? <laughs> uh oh. Uh-oh. See, that doesn't sound no, good. It no, it doesn't. doesn't and this good. is, I really want to hear him. Yeah, Joel, unfortunately, and if Abby's listening to the other room, I don't think we're going to be able to, let's see if we can get him back on, um, unfortunately. Try a different when that happens, right. I do, too, because I, I would like to know if there's any hope at all of us going going ahead and making a you know a smaller budget, we're going to spend less. Is that going to happen? It never does. No, it doesn't happen. So Hugh Hewitt, uh, fellow talk show host, wrote about this this morning, and he said the Congressional Research Service has put together a complete review of debt limit crises, beginning with the one in 2011. As with the current situation, a Democratic president in 2011 faced a newly elected House of Representatives under Republican control. The Senate was run by Democrats. The result was. After much posturing and long negotiation on August 2nd, 2011, President Obama then signed the Budget Control Act. The the BCA set caps on discretionary spending, threatened politically painful sequestration of federal funds if deficit reduction targets were not met. And Hugh points out there have been about a dozen, well, maybe not a dozen, but a half dozen of these other quote unquote crises that have occurred since. And his position is raising the debt limit is never really in question, but the party holding the White House begins negotiations in a vulnerable position. I think he says that 
it's never in question simply because you have to do it. I mean, if you, if you don't do it, then you do have a lot of risk to the markets, et cetera. So he says markets get jittery during these showdowns and presidential approvals ratings sh- suffer. Treasury Secretary yes. Janet Yellen tried to get in front of this problem by expressing her worries about the debt limit last week, a sort of appeal to the legacy media to protect the administration from blame. Now, this is what I wanted to ask Joel, and I'm not so sure we're going to get him back on here. Congressional Republicans have to make demands here, right? They have to make these demands specific. One of the things that that I was trying to get to with Joel from Heritage is I just think people don't understand this. I I don't think that most Americans hear the – I don't even think I understand it, right? Well, you you know the basic. We can't spend money we don't have, and we've been doing it for a really long time, and eventually it's going to bite us. And we keep pushing off when that's going to happen. This drives me nuts. They um, they point out, and I liked what I heard from Chip Roy from Texas a couple of weeks ago during this race for the speakership. He says, and here's what Tom Cotton wants to do, first of all. So Tom Cotton says, and he's from Arkansas, the debt ceiling legislation traditionally includes measures to control spending. The sequestration, I mentioned that, of the BCA in 2011 is widely regarded as having been a disaster for the Pentagon preparedness and national security. So a replay of that is off the table. But a rollback of non-defense discretionary spending to pre-pandemic levels, that makes sense. Okay, so that's something that's realistic, right? Let's say we're going to roll this back to right before the pandemic, uh, and I'm I'm a person that does put defense spending on the table. Yeah. And if you go back four years and you say this is where our level is going to be, is that going to be really that harmful? So then you got Chip Chip Roy. He would go further. He would give the Pentagon a bigger haircut, rolling defense spending back to 2019 levels. GOP defense hawks will not agree. They think it's 1938 again. Hughes says with mortal threats rising in Europe and Asia, they won't budge. He's right about that. He's right about that. You're not going to have people budging on that, which is unfortunate because I think you do need to look at all of these things, even defense spending. Um, So what can they ask for? Well, what's that? Let's start with social programs, but that's my thought. Well, the problem with social programs is that, that they're there. You're talking about the entitlement programs or well, other things? all of it. Yeah. So just start there and uh, work your way Look, through. The bottom line is, and the reason, the core reason that I am a conservative is because government is out of control. Government spending, the size, the scope of government, it's in every yes. part of our life, and it's holding us back. You're going to hear, when you hear this speech in a couple of minutes from Constantine Kissin, I think that people are going to be blown away and impressed, and he kind of addresses some of these issues, you know, um, of where we're at. But I don't see any willingness to do this on the part of most people in Congress. Why it's not imperative for people on both sides to say, we've got to get this under control. Yes. It's, it's, we can't just keep writing check after check after check. But that's exactly what they are going to do. A little bit more here from um, Kevin McCarthy and KJP. Uh, on the negotiations, wait, he was... Oh, I thought this was interesting, too. I'm going to go back to um, to the questions about what happened last week with the president, because this was posed to her today. Are you upset that you came out to this podium on Friday with incomplete and inaccurate information? And are you concerned that it affects your credibility up here? Well, what I'm what I'm concerned about is making sure that we do not 
politically interfere in the Department of Justice, that we continue uh, to be consistent over the last two years. And, uh, and that is uh, continue to refer you all when it comes to an ongoing process. Uh, and, uh, and I'll just leave it there. And let's not forget, there was actually a statement from uh, the counsel's office uh, that you all had at the same time as well. I'm, I'm just not going to go down uh, any rabbit hole here. I'm going to be very consistent. I'm going to be very prudent. Okay, KJP, uh, uh-huh. one more question here on this topic. The White House says Republicans are faking outrage on this issue. Why shouldn't Americans be outraged about classified documents being found in a garage? Yeah, exactly. Look, and I think I've been very clear about this. We have answered questions on this at this podium. You've heard, as Phil was saying twice from the president, talk about this. He said that he didn't know. Right? He said that he was surprised, and he said that he takes classified information and documents very, very seriously. We heard directly from the president on this issue. So, look, if he says he didn't know and it was next to his well, Corvette, okay. who cares? Let's yes. just move forward at this point. We take his word for it. Let me take you out just briefly to the West Coast. We'll get John Ziegler's take on this. I know he's going to have something to say oh, about boy. it after 5 o'clock. The Reparations Committee in San Francisco, which amazingly enough is still a city in this country— um, has proposed paying each, this is another one of those things, hard to really tell reality versus fiction. They're proposing paying each black longtime resident of San Francisco $5 million and granting total debt forgiveness due to the decades of systemic repression faced by the black community. This is the San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee Barely say that without laughing, which advises the city on developing plan for reparations for black residents. So they they released a report to address reparations. Um, California was, you know, Robert E. Lee led the charge in what was it was in the Battle of Los Angeles or was the Battle of San Jose during the Civil War. So it's just ridiculous. There were no slaves in uh, California. They weren't a slave state. So they want to do this, even though that is not the case, but they want to do it because they're virtue signaling. Here's the GOP chair of San Francisco. Interestingly enough, there actually is a GOP chair in San Francisco, John Dennis. Well, presumably the people of San Francisco would pay. That's the proposal right now. They've made this recommendation to the Board of Supervisors. And the frightening thing is, um, you know, when I t- spoke to people about it last night, a lot of people thought, oh, this is never going to pass. But, you know, I did a head count on the Board of Supervisors. We have 11 supervisors. Uh, they only need six votes. And I think they've got a solid five right now. Oh, my goodness. To be eligible for the program, the applicant must be 18 years old and have identified as black or African-American on public documents for at least 10 years. That's an interesting way to phrase that. They must also prove at least two of the eight additional criteria, choosing from a list that includes born in San Francisco between 1940 and 1996, has proof of residency in San Francisco for at least 13 years, personally or the direct descendant of someone incarcerated by the failed war on drugs. So you get counted in the mix for that as well. How did they come up with $5 million? I can say that the committee, uh, there, there were no Thomas Souls on the committee. There were no Larry Elders on the committee. I'll tell you This why. was sort of yeah. a foregone conclusion. And um, the analysis on how they actually arrived at the numbers, uh, the $5 million number and some other numbers n- are never revealed. What's also interesting, by the way, but one of the element of this is they're also saying that they want to give those folks $97,000 a year for 250 years. 
and the total price tag on this is $50 billion. The city of San Francisco's budget is $14 billion. It's already running deficits. We have structural problems in the city, homeless people all over the place, crime, companies you know, leaving in, in droves. And I think in many ways that this is a, just a massive distraction from the failure of Democrats who have run this town for over 60 years. Yeah, that's their priority in San Francisco, given everything else that's happening right now. It is stunning. Do not miss the speech by Russian, British comedian and podcast um, broadcaster Kosinin Kissin on the topic of woke young minds. It is a gem. It's coming up next. I want to share your Thomas Sowell quotes. They're, they're good ones. Since oh. we had a Thomas Sowell reference, or did you already lose them? No, I have them. He said, uh, have we reached the ultimate stage of absurdity where some people are held responsible for things that happened before they were born, while other people are not held responsible for what they themselves are doing today? And the answer is yes. Yes, absolutely. And the answer is yes on steroids in 2022 and 2023. There's no doubt about that, which brings us to this topic of of wokeness. And we're going to focus specifically on climate activism wokeness. There's all kinds of wokeness out there, certainly the the racial kind, the gender type. There's all these things right now. So this guy, Kassian Kissin, I know a little bit about him. I don't know a lot about him, but this was a debate. I think I said earlier it was on the uh, the House of Commons floor. It was not. It was at Oxford Union Society. So he was at Oxford University. He was addressing younger people. He's a satirist. He's a podcast host. And he just came out of the gate. And, and I'm going to tell you that this, this speech goes on for a little bit. And I can't play the whole thing. I suppose I could play the whole thing. That Take us to the end of the hour. But I want to insert a little commentary. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because it is it's a little bit more lengthy than typically some of the audio that I would play, but it is worth it. And here's how we started. Now, I want to talk to those of you who are woke and who are open to rational argument. A small minority, I accept. <laughs> because one of the tenets of wokeness is, of course, that your feelings matter more than the truth. But I believe in you. I believe there are those of you here who are woke, who are open to rational arguments, so let me make one. We are told that your generation cares more than any other about one issue in particular, and that issue is climate change. We're told that many of you suffer from climate anxiety. You wish to save the planet. And for tonight, and tonight only, I will join you. I will join you in worshiping at the feet of St. Greta of climate change. Yeah, he got Greta's name in there. Now, there are so many reasons that I think this is an important moment and an important speech. And I I know that he's using humor a little bit because he is a humorist and a satirist. But this is the type of speech that really somebody in this country should deliver on the floor of the House or the Senate. Maybe they have in one way, shape or form. But I think Constantine Kissin does a great job here. One of the reasons I like it so much is because he uh, makes a point that I've been making for years and he does it a lot better than I have. And one of the things that I've said, and if you've listened to any of the guests that we've had on about climate change, Steve Beloy was on last week and he pointed out that this, um, you know, this stuff from Noah that came out last week shows that we're not warming anymore in this planet. Uh, but that's not going to matter to the climate change alarmists. Um, but look, you, you have a situation where the wokeness is out of control, and on climate in particular, there are poor people that can be helped from carbon energy. I went to Honduras many years ago. 
uh, about 11 years ago, I think it was at this point, maybe 10, 11 years ago, I saw how people lived that are coming up through our border right now to try to get a better life for themselves. You know what would keep them in their country? If they had some carbon-based energy so they could cook their food and they could have air conditioning and they can have heat. And he makes this point brilliantly because he kind of calls it down to what's happening in the UK compared to, and we have to realize, we just had these these uh, population numbers through a couple weeks ago. Remember, we have, what, 335, 340 like million that. people. They have how many people in China, in India combined? We're talking about three, three and a half billion. Three and a half billion people. All right, so to his point. Let us all accept right here, right now, that we are living through a climate emergency and our stocks of polar bears are running extremely low. I join you in this view. I truly do. Now, what are we to do about this huge problem facing humanity? What can we in Britain do? We can only do one thing. You know why? This country is responsible for 2% of global carbon emissions, which means that if Britain was to sink into the sea right now, it would make absolutely no difference to the issue of climate change. I've made this point over the last decade because I had a Berkeley professor who was on this show who was a guy who believed in man-made climate change that said, because I asked him the question, he said, if we would just shut down this country, we flip a switch, we've got nothing going on in this country, we'd still be back to the same levels within a year or two because of India and China. And, and that's indisputable, but you never really want to hear about that. Because the future of the climate is going to be decided in Asia and in Latin America by poor people who couldn't give a about saving the planet. It's going to be decided by poor people in Asia and Latin America who don't care about saving the planet. You know why? Because they're poor. That's exactly right. This is one of those things that never gets discussed, and I'm confused by it. And Constantine Kissin makes this point brilliantly. Think about it. Now, he's going to use some examples from China even, and I hope that people really take this to heart. And this would be a great, great speech to give to your climate alarmist friends. I come from Russia, which is not a poor country. It's a middle-income country. 20% of households in Russia do not have an indoor toilet. Did you know that? I did not. 20%. That, that's, that's stunning to me. 20% of people, that's a fair amount of people in Russia that do not have indoor plumbing or an indoor toilet. What they have is an outdoor toilet. And I don't mean one of those nice port that we get here. I don't even mean a Glastonbury port <laughs> I mean a wooden shack with a hole in the ground that holds a collected fermented memory of the last 10,000 visits. <laughs> How many of you are going to go home tonight and say, let's rip out our bathroom and erect a Siberian house in the back garden? <laughs> and if you're not, why should they? 120 million people in China do not have enough food. I don't mean that they don't get dessert. I mean they suffer from malnutrition. That means that the immune system is breaking down because they don't have enough food. Think about that. 120 million people. Obviously, they have a lot of people in China. That's a significant number of the population. Imagine you're Xi Jinping, the leader of China. This was really interesting to me. And I'll be honest, I don't know the history of Xi and what his background is all about. But put yourself, I'm not going to defend communism, all right? That's not what we're doing here. Put yourself in his situation running communist China. When you were 10 years old, there was a revolution, a cultural revolution in your country. And people came and they put your father in prison. Your mother had to denounce him. Your sister killed herself. And you, no longer enjoying the protection of your formerly powerful father, were sent to a village where you lived in a cave house. And here you are, decades later, 
You have clawed your way up the bloody and greasy pole of Chinese politics to be the undisputed supreme leader of the very Communist Party that destroyed your family. And you know that the main thing you have to do to survive and to stay in power is to deliver the one thing that the people of China want, prosperity, economic growth. Where do you think climate change ranks on Xi Jinping's list of priorities? Where does climate change rank in the priorities for the American people? Very, very low. Now, in the media's viewpoint, it's at the top. In the Democrats' viewpoint, it's at the top of the list. The reality is it's not. The other reality is we can't do anything about it. But you know what we can do? We can adapt. We do very well when it comes to challenges. A third of all children who live in extreme poverty in the world live in India. That means they are starving and dying of preventable disease. Now, about 15 months ago, my wife got pregnant. Not me, because we're old school. <laughs> that was a pretty good line right Come there. <laughs> and for nine months, we talked about what our boy would look like, what he might do when he grows up. We looked at baby scans and videos on YouTube about what the fetus looks like at nine months and 12 months and 20 months. And eventually he was born. And he is this cute little bundle of joy. He's cuter than about 80% of puppies, right? <laughs> now, if you said to me that I had a choice, either my son had a serious risk of starving or dying from a preventable disease in the next year, or I could press a button and he would live. He would go to school. He would bring his first girlfriend home. He'd go to university and graduate and become a woke idiot. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And then he'd get a job and get married and have children and become a man. But all I have to do is press this button. And for every day of my son's life, a giant plume of CO2 is going to re get released into the atmosphere. Now, you're all very young, and most of you are not parents. Let me tell you something. There is not a parent in the world who would not smash that button so hard their hand bled. Yeah, and his point, look, I, I can say this in relation to my daughter. You've got Leo and all these Hollywood types out there and all the uh, climate alarmists, AOC, you know, Cori Bush, you name it. Do they have children? Would they feel that their own children should have a lower standard of living? The only way to solve, solve is an interesting word, this crisis. And the people that are really behind all this would be honest with you. You basically got to live in a, a room that's the size of this studio, Sue. I mean, they've kind yeah. of done the math. In order for maybe even smaller than the studio, like a whole family. I'm not talking about one person in a room like this. In order to solve, quote unquote, the climate crisis, we all have to do that. In this country, in China, in India, in Mexico. That's not it's going not to gonna happen. happen. This is really refreshing to hear him, to somebody oh, address these he things. He is awesome. He's got one more here. Well, I think it would help if I turned it up, though. Hold on. You are not going to get these people to stay poor. You're not even going to get them to not want to be richer. And so I put it to you, ladies and gentlemen, there is only one thing we can do in this country to stop climate change, and that is to make scientific and technological breakthroughs that will create the clean energy that is not only clean, but also cheap. Which is what we do on this planet. And the only thing that wokeness has to offer in exchange is to brainwash bright young minds like you 
to believe that you are victims, to believe that you have no agency, to believe that what you must do to improve the world is to complain, is to protest, is to throw soup on paintings. Yeah. <laughs> Took him a minute to get that, right? Yeah, it did. And we on this side of the house are not on this side of the house because we do not wish to improve the world. We sit on this side of the house because we know that the way to improve the world is to work, is to create, it is to build. And the problem with woke culture is that it's trained too many young minds like yours to forget about that. Thank you very much. Yeah, wow. That was, that was a great speech. The whole speech is only about seven and a half or eight minutes, and I called it down, and I only skipped a couple of different parts in there. But I, I love the fact, because I never, I've always been curious about this, and I've asked Dr. Roy Spencer, and I asked Steve Malloy, and a lot of these other guys, and they agree with me, but it's never part of the conversation about the poor people around the planet. It isn't, it, ever, it, ever. Even the poor people in this country, yeah. right? You'd be surprised at how many people don't have access to that. So I thought that that speech was absolutely excellent but let's face it some of us and and i'm certainly in that camp where i have a a little seven and a half year old girl who's going to be indoctrinated in her schooling and already is about climate change and we're creating fear look what greta thunberg's parents have done to her it's child abuse is what it is and guess what she's been talking about doom and gloom for about five years now the original prediction was seven years gosh she's running out of time isn't she get more at 971talk.com we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 